Hello and welcome to Postgres FM, a weekly show about all things PostgreSQL. I am Michael, founder of PG Mustard, and this is my co-host Nikolai, founder of Postgres AI. Hey Nikolai, what are we discussing today? Hi Michael, we are reacting to requests and we are discussing vacuum. Maybe we, we're only starting to discuss vacuum. Yeah, absolutely. Deep, deep topic. But yes, this was, as you say, I think this was one of the first ones somebody uh, tweeted us once once we said we were open to talking about things people wanted to hear. A vacuum was a, is always a topic that people want to talk about. It seems like it's something that people don't necessarily know about when they first encounter Postgres, but they quickly learn about one way or the other. And as you get more and more advanced, I think there still seem to be things that people can learn about vacuum, even people with many years of experience. Right, right. We have a couple of requests and I wanted to thank everyone who provides feedback to us. We see it almost every day already, especially on Twitter. And it's so good to, to read it and to see what people think about our show. And also, as usual, I ask everyone to like in the place they listen or watch. We have a video version, which is uncut, by the way, longer a little bit on YouTube. Uh, Postgres.tv is a short web address. But of course, it's available on iTunes and so on. And I encourage everyone to like this show or this episode right now. And also, please share in social networks you use or working groups where you discuss Postgres or engineering or everything. Thank you so much, everyone. So speaking of Postgres TV channel, we also have great guests coming almost every week. It's called Open Talks. The idea is we invite people who presented some interesting talk at some conference, but recording was not done. And one of the such talks recently was Hanno Crossing ex-Skype. He created a lot of Postgres-related stuff at Skype. And he's now at Google Cloud. And the talk was titled, Do You Vacuum Every Day? It was great. Like, it's very great, deep, and at the same time, very simple material. Everyone can watch it and understand a lot of stuff. So I, again, like, encourage 100% everyone should watch this. So it's, it's directly related to our today topic. I watched that. I thought it was fantastic. He managed to keep it, as you say, kept it simple, but I definitely still learned a few things during it. I think it was about an hour, maybe a little bit longer. So it is definitely a deep dive, but definitely well worth a watch. Yeah, we don't we don't limit our speakers with timing. Unlike at conference, when we have very strict constraints, so we can spend a couple of hours, definitely, if you want and you have material and desire, definitely so. But uh, our show is uh, roughly 30 minutes because as usual i want to say big hello to those who are running or riding bicycle or especially walking their dogs i know some people do it from feedback i've learned it and i, I think dogs must love our show yeah it's their excuse to get out uh, i think dogs and elephants would be friends too right uh, uh, keep it in the spirit yeah right so vacuum where to start what do you think I think probably right at the beginning, right? So why do we have vacuum? Like, what is vacuum? Why do we have it? Some people kind of see it as a negative part of Postgres. I see it as something we need because of some of the design decisions right at the beginning of Postgres. I personally really like it. I, I think we've gained so much from some of those design decisions. Um, but this one is to do with multi-version concurrency control, right? So MVCC. The fact that we keep old versions of, I was nearly, I was about to say rows then, but I guess tuples around. Row versions or you say tuples or tuples? Oh, <laughs> which is correct. I say the correct one. I don't know. I've heard <laughs> both. So, 
We need to choose. So I'm going to say tuple. I don't know why. I will choose tuple. <laughs> okay, tuples. Uh, let's 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 use tuples. So right, a tuple is a physical version of a row, and each row can have multiple tuples at the same time. And one transaction sees only one of them. It may happen that some tuple, which is physical version of a row, is not visible to any transactions. So basically, it's dead, right? And you can check when the tuple was created because you can select. Uh, Xmin Xmax CTID. We we discussed CTID some time ago. It's very convenient sometimes to know that there are hidden system columns in each table. They are created automatically. You cannot, for example, you cannot use CTID or Xmin in in your column names. So so it's like reserved words. But you can select uh, and see the value of Xmin Xmax and the CTID. CTID is a physical address like page and offset. Uh, Xmin is when uh, the transaction ID which created the tuple. But Xmax is slightly more complex. It's usually zero. It means like a row is live, but it can be not zero. It can be something different. Some transaction which was rolled back. So Xmax is present. You can see it in your transaction. Obviously, this tuple is live. This like so. It means that when you select Xmin Xmax, you have a feeling of tuple, right? <laughs> And the next time you select, you can have different values of Xmin, Xmax, Xmin no, but Xmax and CTID they can change with these hidden columns. So right. So if uh, tuple becomes dead, it's a problem because it, it still occupies some space. This is a key problem that leads us to the, the need of uh, vacuuming, right? And also like. This very simple exercise I recommend everyone who starts working with Postgres: create a table with just single column uh, ID integer eight, for example, and put a, a row where ID equals one, and then check CTID, and then uh, just update this row, uh, not changing values. Say ID equals ID, and you will see CTID will change. So this is how you can feel that new tuple is created. Every time you try to do update, even if you try and rolled back, tuple will be created, but new tuple will be marked dead instead of old one, right? I didn't realize that. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. Or you can insert an inside transaction and then roll back your transaction, so cancel your insert, and this insert will produce some tuples again. This shows us that. Testing on production is not good. Some some people say, "Oh, we will insert some data and then roll back our transaction, not to, to disturb production." But you disturb anyway because you will produce fresh dead tuples, yeah. and you will make a to vacuum to make to, to vacuum to make more work than than without your actions. Testing on production not is not a good idea. And this is the reason we're discussing this part of it is that one of the core tasks that vacuum has and presumably where it got its name from is then going and looking for these dead tuples and vacuuming them up or removing them so that reclaiming the space i guess is there by the way to finish this idea about testing the only type of workload which you can do not disturbing physical layout and not making out vacuum to work more is cancel delete so you delete a lot then roll back you will produce a lot of I/O. Uh, a lot of records go, will go to wall, so it, it it will put some stress to replication. But physical uh, layout won't change because your transaction will just put x max new x max value. Then when it got cancelled, this transaction ID marked as cancelled, so it will uh, it will logically will equal to zero, meaning that these tuples these tuples are still live. 
So this is a very interesting kind of workload I sometimes use on regular clones when we need to have many iterations of workload, but we don't want our physical layout to be changed, so to start from the same point every time. So this is the only kind of workload that won't disturb physical layout and vacuum. Right. Sorry for it. Maybe it's kind of off topic a little bit, but I, I want everyone just to start thinking about uh, f- physical raw versions, which call tuples, when they think about performance, because it's very, very related. You cannot optimize performance not understanding M- MVCC and tuples, right? Yeah, absolutely. So where do you want to go next? Do you want to look to talk about performance a little bit or do you want to talk about the different, like, so one of Vacuum's tasks is to free up space? Yeah, which, which, which tasks Vacuum has? Uh, yeah. First of all, cleaning up the tuples, tuples, tuples. And second is uh, preventing transaction uh, ID wraparound, uh, which is called freezing. And third one, additional one is recalculation of table statistics. The, the statistics of data to help the planner to understand which plan to choose based on, on data st- stats, right? And this is also like analyzed part. Yeah, so that happens if you, you, can, you can additionally do vacuum analyze, can't you? But also auto vacuum does this. So I, I wasn't sure if right. you were going to bring this up so... Yeah. 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 Well, I, I switched us to auto vacuum actually uh, impl- implicitly, and this yeah. is, of course, uh, this is what auto vacuum can do. By the way, it's, it's interesting that it sometimes it does just analyze for a table when time comes, right? But sometimes it, it chooses to do vacuum analyze, so both actions at once. It's interesting that both are, are possible for auto vacuum, and auto vacuum is great. It's, it allows you to forget about vacuuming. I remember times when auto uh, vacuum wasn't present in Postgres, so you, if by default you were in trouble. <laughs> if you don't vacuum, what happens? <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. that's a really good point, actually. So there might be people listening who are, who maybe they're relatively new to Postgres or they've started a project and they've not had to worry about vacuum, and that's probably because for so far at least auto vacuum has been you know it's it's got certain default settings that probably are a bit conservative in general but when you're first getting started when the tables are small um they're okay they're fine they'll keep you they'll keep this from being a problem for longer than uh, as you say if they don't have it and i think uh, as far as i can tell unless you're extremely advanced and know exactly what you're doing you really shouldn't be turning auto vacuum off so that it, if anybody suggests doing that, that should set off big, big sirens and warning signals at your place of work, I think. Right. Well, uh, in my opinion, based on my like 17 plus experience of working with Postgres in uh, quite large setups with hundreds of thousands of transactions per second, multi-dozens of terabytes of data and so on, in all TP context, when a lot of users are present and they need very good performance so my experience my opinion is uh, default uh, is not enough for almost any, any, everyone so so it, it should be tuned in the very beginning for example uh, only three auto working workers is not enough for modern servers okay if it, if it's if it's a laptop or some very very small uh, system Three workers is probably enough. But since every time you produce the tuples, and we discuss, just discussed you, you, many transactions produce the tuples, you need cleanup. So it means that cleanup is almost like constant work that Postgres needs to do. So my recommendation is 
check how many cores you have and uh, allocate at least 30% of those cores to, to Wacom. So if you have 12 cores, four workers. If you have, uh, I don't know, like 40, um, how many? Like 96 cores. Uh, it means that you need to, to have 30 workers at least if, if you have a very big server. And uh, I'm, I'm excited to see that some... Uh, some settings, default settings were recently changed. Uh, cost limit, AutoVacuum, uh, it's, it's very complex. Like, uh, it's very, one setting depends on another and so on. But uh, roughly, uh, cost limit and cost delay uh, associated with AutoVacuum were very, very, very old defaults. And uh, roughly speaking, uh, you had only 8 megabytes per second of reads uh, for all workers that you have. Not more. This is like quota. Uh, and uh, it was changed in Postgres maybe 12 or, or, or plus, plus minus one. Uh, and it was like, became 10 times more. So now, now roughly 80 megs per second, but it's not enough for big, big setups. With modern disks, you probably want like half terabyte or even, even bigger quota. So you need to tune it further. Yeah, I think there are quite a few good tuning guides, aren't there? Uh, we could, I can link to it. I know at least one really good one in terms of giving people advice on what. Go on. I like a couple of articles so from, I don't remember who, who wrote it, but it was on second quadrant blog. When not vacuum yeah. doesn't vacuum. When vacuum does does vacuum. Understanding basics of vacuuming. This is this is like very like great basic material. And I, I even open it very often when I need to explain something to others. I always mention this, these couple of posts. So let's link them in, in, in and encourage everyone to, uh, to read it. But I also wanted to say that like, if you don't tune it in the very beginning, bloat will come, right? Eventually. Yes. The two risks, right? Transaction ID wraparound and bloat. Two risks. Yeah. And that like that manifests itself in gradually, gradually slower performance or, you know, like various things will start to degrade at that point. Discs like will start to increase. Like there's, there's a few different ways that that will manifest. Um, and I, I actually wanted to say like, oh, before we move on from auto vacuum, the, the best advice I ever heard was it's a bit like exercise. If you, if it hurts, you're not doing it enough. So it's the, if auto vacuum looks like it's getting in the way of things. So sometimes I think people see it running and that's blocking other things or it's taking ages, things like that. If you're in that situation, don't turn it off. I think some people get tempted to, to turn it off so, so that the problem goes away. The, yeah. the solution is more, make it more aggressive, Opposite. make it happen more frequently. Opposite. Exactly. So, right. um, that, that seems to be what, what trips people up around this. Yeah, funny word when I describe what to do with AutoVacuum, I also use uh, aggressive and sometimes some company, they have an interesting bot in, in Slack that said, well, you know, you shouldn't use word aggressive. <laughs> Choose another one and there are options. <laughs> but I agree, like AutoVacuum tuning is, is two things. Make it aggressive, move faster, right? So aggressive, like what does it mean? M move faster. So give more quota don't limit risk discrete and so on and cost limit cost delay these like set of settings there are several settings 
So also at the vacuum settings depend on vacuum settings. If it's, yeah. it's minus one, it means get it from there. So like it's, that's why I, I, see, I say it's quite complex. You need to, to spend some time understanding these like hierarchy of settings. But this is one thing. Another thing is frequency. So like speed, quotas, aggressiveness, and frequency. Frequency is very important because if you allow it to move fast, but it, you keep a defaults like 10% of that tuples, it's a lot. <laughs> 1% below for OTP, we need to go down. Like we need to remove that tuples more often. Yeah. So just for anybody wondering, that's like by default, I think all tables, uh, so the, the basically any table has to grow by 10% in order for it to k- trigger another auto vacuum, which when, when the table's a hundred or a thousand, has, has accumul- sorry, needs to accumulate at least 10% of that tuples. Great point. Yes. Right. It can grow, for example, append only situation. It was fixed by the way in Postgres. 13 maybe when yeah when uh, this analyze part of auto vacuum didn't trigger because we ha- don't have that tuples and special setting for, was added of additional logic for append only situations but uh, the the like at least 10 percent of that tuples by default and, and in my opinion it should be one percent in all tp or maybe at not least. even maybe like, should it definitely should it definitely be a percentage? Like I've seen people switch completely to a raw number of tuples instead, so right. they they don't have this degradation over time as it as it as those relations grow. Right. So yeah, it's also not simple. There is scale factors, also set of settings for for analyze for vacuum part, and also there is a threshold. Threshold is like some absolute number, like 50 by default, as I remember, 50 dead tuples. And uh, there is some formula based on these two, based of these two settings that gives you a real threshold that when, like, de- defining when that vacuum triggers. Well, this static number approach is, you know, like, there are many topics people have different opinions about. For example, some I, I see s- several groups of people, and I see, still see them. That say uh, uh, vacuum default vacuum is a very uh, silly algorithm. For example, it doesn't understand that on on weekends we have much more space for work for vacuum, or at nights, it's it doesn't respect the time of day or of week or or the day of week. And we should change it. So they switch off auto vacuum and uh, implement their own algorithm and run vacuum. Or they do both. Both both seems like really smart to me, right? So if you know when your business is quiet and you can afford most of the time to be able to do a, a manual vacuum analyze, it's not that you're doubling the work by keeping auto vacuum on because when auto vacuum then does trigger, it has less to do. It, there's, there's less work. So I, I do see the logic to that myself yes yeah also if you do it with your script it means that you run so-called manual of course it's a full automated in this case but it's so-called manual vacuum and in recent versions of postgres it has benefit unlike uh, auto vacuum it can process indexes of a table in parallel so multiple processes and it's like parallelization is a great way uh, to improve vacuuming on larger setups. It's it's inevitable way, I would say. And it, it, it leads us to the topic of partitioning, but maybe let's yes. postpone it. Right, right. But uh, I agree. Well, I don't I, I don't like the idea of turning a vacuum completely and relying on your custom in-house tool. It may be dangerous, but 
combination sounds good, but if you run vacuum, if you connect to Postgres using PSQL and run vacuum, it's unthrottled. Oh, throttling is a good way. It's a good way to name quotas differently, right? So auto vacuum is throttled too much by default, but manual vacuum is not throttled at all because vacuum cost delay is zero by default. It means that throttling is not applied. And my question is, can you put your system down in terms of saturation of disk IO? Just doing some vacuum, maybe in multiple uh, processes, mul multiple tables at once. I, I tried I, I, on modern hardware on, on like NVMe disks. I cannot do it. <laughs> maybe on older hardware it's possible. I saw problems related to performance when vacuum was too aggressive, right? Moving too fast, using too much of our disk IO capacity. But on modern disks, we, we recently tried it. Like we tried to prove that unleash auto vacuum is not a good idea, but we failed. All, we always had room, even if we used like almost all, all CPUs are doing some work. It's interesting. Maybe I'm wrong here. It's an interesting uh, exercise to see where the limit is. That sounds like a, that doesn't sound like a failure at all. That sounds like a successful experiment where you learned something really important. Well, th there is always bottleneck somewhere. Right. If we cannot saturate our disk IO, it means that probably we have some, we spend some time in code loading CPU more than could be. Like, I don't know. Like, it's interesting. I'm just trying to say that on modern disks, you probably should <laughs> almost unleash it to move faster. Yeah. If you, especially if you have a lot of cores. There were a couple more. So I think partitioning actually might be worth discussing briefly, probably not the depths of it, but I think a lot of people think partitioning is going to help them with performance. And my experience is different. My experience is the main argument for it is all around maintenance. It's all around being able to delete. I'm getting a big thumbs up here. So yeah, go on. Yes and no. So I agree. Like B3 is great. The height of B3 grows very slow. So if we have uh, 100 gigabytes, if we have 10 terabytes, the difference is not that big. We, have, we need just additional uh, um, buffers to be checked uh, to perform index scan, right? In uh, index-only scan, if you talk about it. But the problem is definitely related to maintenance uh, because if we have 10 terabyte table, a vacuum is taking a day, <laughs> maybe, <laughs> depending on, on your speed and, and the power of disks and, and CPU and so on. But uh, like it's it's a problem itself. Not partition table, right? Not partition, of course. I'm I'm mm -hmm. I'm trying to understand like how partitioning can be connected to vacuuming and yeah. uh, one how partitioning can help vacuum. Of course, if a table is partitioned, the problem is that auto vacuum cannot process uh, even indexes of a table yet. It, maybe it will be implemented in future because uh, regular vacuum can do it. But also, like even if it processed uh, the indexes in parallel, for example, you have 10 indexes and you process uh, using 10, 10 CPUs, 10 processes, right? But heap itself, it's hard to parallelize it. Also, I think it's possible, but it's maybe like it's complex task. Right now, it's not possible. So if you have a huge table, the process of vacuuming it with all its indexes will be single-threaded by, by auto-vacuum. Auto -vacuum. Uh, but if it, you partition it, you can benefit from having many auto-vacuum workers. Of course, if you tuned it from default three to a bigger number, and yeah. you should on larger systems. So this greatly improves the speed of vacuuming, but not only this. 
Of course, if your table is partitioned, you can re-index and create index or recreate indexes uh, much faster. But also, the state of cache improves because data is localized much better. New data is present in pages where mostly new data, or some pages have old data. And if these tuples, tuples are not changed in, in some page, it's, it's all frozen, all visible, Atulakim skips it, right? It's so good. And maybe it's even not present in cache, so you have more space in your buffer pool and page cache for newer data. So cache efficiency increases as well, right? And this directly improves performance. But also one topic I only recently realized is that indexing and re-indexing, it affects vacuuming. If creation of some index or recreation of some index takes hours, during this period, vacuum cannot delete freshly dead tuples. Tuples which became dead. Interesting. Tuples, which became dead only recently, right? And this is a problem because indexing and re-indexing, they hold X-min horizon. Even if it's concurrent? Yes, concurrently as well. There was an attempt to uh, optimize this in Postgres 14 for uh, index and re-index concurrently. And uh, it was so great. Like, index and index concurrently, they, they don't hold X-min tuples, so all the tuples which became uh, dead recently, Vacuum can clean them. Great. But in recently, uh, in, in June, uh, in Postgres uh, 14.4, this triggered this uh, release, as I understand. Uh, immediate bug fix needed, and this functionality was reverted in Postgres 14, unfortunately. So the rule of thumb, you don't want index creation to be very long, so you need partitioning for faster vacuuming to, to run it parallel and to, to avoid bloat. Because what, like, we didn't discuss what bloat is, right? Bloat happens when you accumulate too many dead to, to tuples, right? And then a vacuum delete them, a lot of them at once, and you have a lot of space, free space inside pages. Yes, and and I think we probably should, because we're on the topic of indexes, talk about, we, we've talked mostly about table bloat so far, so row versions, dead row versions, but there are also, there's also index bloat, which is subtly different in my opinion, because you can, you've got the same entries, but remove like freeing them up doesn't do as much good as in in the table or is in the in the heap in the heap they can be reused very easily another a row can a row version could be inserted there it doesn't matter what but in a in an index because it's it or in a b tree index for example adding more rows can split pages and vacuum won't unsplit the pages so even if you vacuum as yeah. very strongly or Not, very aggressively. Vacuum doesn't rebalance. It does. Yeah, exactly. You won't get it back to the same size as it was it, it, at first. And therefore you might need to re-index from time to time if you want to remove index bloat as well. Or or you can stay on as on top of it as you can. And there's some good optimizations for this in Postgres 13, I believe. Maybe 14. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's just something that people sometimes don't realize. Yeah, we talked about it uh, in both, in both, uh, B3 optimizations, I think they started in Postgres 12 even, in, or 13. And we discussed it on the Postgres TV channel with Anastasia Lubenikova and then with Peter Gagan. It's, it's like so great that these optimizations happen, that they're very fundamental, affecting every Postgres setup. So good. Deduplication and so on. I, I agree, but I think bloat sometimes is useful both in heap and, and uh, indexes. Like if in heap, it can help to have more often heap only tuple updates. 
more optimized updates not, not without need to touch indexes. But in indexes, I think it's also useful. Otherwise, why do we have default fill factor in indexes 90, not 100, right? Yeah. I'm not like... Like I'm not expert in indexes. We have other experts like Peter Geigenura and Andrei Borodin, for example. Like by the way, indexes is a great set of topics, right? We we should talk about them yeah. at some point. But related to vacuum, I think you're right. Over time, indexes health degrades anyway. Even in like in modern versions latest versions of Postgres, it's much better, situations improved, bloat growth decreased, but still we need to perform so-called index maintenance and rebuild indexes from time to time. Even if our AutoVacuum is well-tuned and uh, we have the latest version, we still need to rebuild indexes. And when we rebuild indexes, we want to be very fast because of X-Min Horizon, because we affect uh, all tables, by the way. So if we have if we rebuild one index and if it takes many hours, all indexes in our database are affected. So vacuum cannot clean tuples in all tables, all, all indexes, freshly dead tuples, and entries to, to that, that tuple. So it's it's huge global problem. So you want indexing to be fast. Yeah, super interesting. I had one last thing that I thought we couldn't finish this episode without talking about briefly. And, or even if it's just a public service announcement, there is a parameter for vacuum. I think it should really be called a different thing, but it's it's called vacuum full, and you probably never want it. Like I, I could imagine people very happily using Postgres for decades and never using it. But I, I just wanted to say, because I think it can trip people up thinking, well, like the name suggests that it's going to do very, a very comprehensive version of vacuum, but because of the locks it takes, it's... I use it all, all the time. I use it all the time. Go on. What for? <laughs> really? Are I you do. joking? Well, so I use it all the time because it's related to how we estimate, how we see how much bloat we have. You know that bloat estimation is not a simple task. Scripts, all everyone has various versions of scripts. They are lightweight, but they can be very wrong. For example, I, I can show you how I can... Uh, the, the script says we have 40% of bloat, but bloat is zero because the table is just created. It's easy to do. It's related to alignment paging, paging. So if you want to understand real bloat numbers, the only, there is a PGSTAT tuple 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 extension extension but i had issues with using it some time ago so since we are big fans of real experimenting and using clones and thin clones thick clones doesn't matter in this case what do we do we just create clone and promote it to primary so it's a real clone writable and we vacuum full whole database or specific tables and we compare numbers before and after size right and we can say 100 percent we know that bloat is this Current bloat is this. Gotcha. So it takes time, and, and also presumably we're talking about right. test environments here. We're not talking about of course detached instance. Not yeah. it's it's not test because it's production data, but it's like closer to production to get a real yeah. measurement of vacuum. This is very simple, straightforward brute force yeah. approach. <laughs> yes, I okay. I agree. I was thinking uh, purely for production use case, but you're kind of a hundred percent right as usual. Is there anything else you wanted to make sure we talked about today? No, let's make some summary, maybe like recommendations. Uh, understand MVCC, of course, right? It's like read about it, understand. There are many good materials around. Then tune AutoVacuum. Then there, are, there, are, there is a separate topic of monitoring, maybe next time. Yeah. Right. Also run, uh, re recreate indexes from time to time, probably in automated fashion. 
it's all it's not a simple task also worth a separate discussion and maybe use some tools like pg repack or pg squeeze to deal with bloat in tables themselves right what else ah partitioning yeah there's a rule of thumb it's like an empiric rule not based on uh, like some logic but it's based on experience of many people if the table grows or has chances to grow over 100 gigs it should be partitioned yeah i like this and i think you had one more rule didn't you so it's uh, if you're thinking about 100 gigabytes think about partitioning if you're thinking about a terabyte think about sharding was that your rule sharding yeah yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, it was a discussion on Twitter. So it's not my rule. It's, okay. it's like started in different places and then. Sounds good. It's easy to remember. Good. Wonderful. Well, thank you. Thanks again to everybody who's been sharing this on Twitter and wherever else. We really appreciate it. And yeah, looking forward to talking to you again next week. Thank you. Bye. Cheers. Bye.